This is Bruce Friedman of Adult Site Broker, and welcome to Adult Site Broker Talk, where each week we interview one of the movers and shakers of the adult industry, and we give you a tip on buying and selling websites. This week we'll be speaking with Jerry Davies from Nazures, the makers of Baldo. Adult Site Broker is proud to announce the launch of our new website, Adult Site Broker 3.0, at adultsitebroker.com. The look and feel of the new site is nice and up-to-date and easier to navigate. The new site also has links to our affiliate program, ASB Cash, and our new blog. Speaking of ASB Cash, we've doubled our affiliate payouts. That's right. Now when you refer sellers or buyers to us at Adult Site Broker, you're going to receive 20% of our broker commission on any and all sales that result from that referral for life. You can either place a link to us on your site or refer buyers and sellers through an email introduction. ASB Cash is the first affiliate program for an adult website brokerage. Check out ASBCash.com for more details and to sign up. Now let's feature our property of the week that's for sale at Adult Site Broker. We're proud to offer an amazing opportunity. If you're in the live cams, model management, or fan site space, or want to get into them, we have a private listing that may be just right for you. This company works with all major cam sites and has access to hundreds of U.S.-based models. We're offering very limited information at the seller's request in order to maintain privacy. We anticipate multiple offers for this very rare listing. For more information, contact us on our website at adultsitebroker.com. Now time for this week's interview. My guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk is Jerry Davies of Nazures, the makers of Baldo. Jerry, thanks for being with us today on Adult Site Broker Talk. It's a pleasure, Bruce. Very glad to be here. Glad to have you. It took us a while. Yeah, well, we got here in the end, so uh, yeah, I can't wait to have this chat. Indeed, me too. Now, Jerry is your classic ahead-of-the-game entrepreneur, having predicted market trends by setting up the world's first Echo Superstore in Australia in 2007 by doing an electric bike manufacturing company in the UK in 2014. Most recently, he designed Nazar's first product, the Baldo. Jerry and his now business partner, Elizabeth, saw the massive untapped opportunity with products for men's balls one night while making ball jokes over a bottle of wine. Must have uh, been a good one to be at. In uh, 2019, they patented Baldo and a whole range of other ball-related products. They used crowdfunding to fund the Baldo. With the campaign launching in February 2021, Baldo hit its funding target in 10 hours and went on to sell $105,000 worth of products via Indiegogo. The hilarious launch video of the Baldo, and you've got to see this, it's just, God, it will have you on the floor. Uh, It cemented its position as a cult icon, particularly in the U.S., where it's received high-profile coverage on Howard Stern, Cosmopolitan, Vice, Wired, and Playboy, to name a few. So he was, uh, Jerry was on Howard Stern, and he's really slumming it with me. Uh, <laughs> Nazars is working hard to launch more products, including a new and improved vibrating version of the Baldo. It will be on the shelves at Christmas time. I'm sorry, Jerry, that's all the time we have for today. Um, so, <laughs> just kidding. When did you first realize that you were an entrepreneur? It's, that's a funny one, actually, Bruce, because I think, you know, I, I was selling, uh, I buying secondhand lawnmowers uh, at the age of about 14 and <laughs> earning more money than my father uh, by giving him a wipe with an oily rag and selling them on. Um, so technically, I kind of should have been uh, um, classified as an entrepreneur then, but it, it wasn't, it wasn't right. until my sort of late 30s that I really thought, hang on a minute, I've got this pattern of do a normal job, get bored, come up with an idea, start a business and Mm -hmm. do that business you know so it took a long while you know there was nobody there to tell me you are an entrepreneur you know I just had to sort of figure it out for myself sure well nobody ever tells you (laughs) you you, you, look here's the thing you're either an entrepreneur or you're not and there are two types of people in this world there are people who have companies and there are people who work for those companies 
Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think what what I'm trying to say is uh, uh, my my sort of uh, entrepreneurialism is kind of mixed mm-hmm. with being an inventor as well. Right. So right. You know, I'm a kind of inventor entrepreneur is probably the the best way to describe me. And what was your what was your first invention? Um, what was my first invention? I think I invented a wind turbine that fitted underneath the eaves of a house um Hmm. when i was about five for uh for a tv show and (laughs) and i won a prize for it but uh it wouldn't have worked never would have worked but (laughs) at least i had a go (laughs) you invented it nobody ever said it had to work (laughs) probably people have invented it right now there's i mean that's one thing you realize about being a sort of inventor is an entrepreneur is there's so many people who are just launching stuff that's just never going to work and they raise yeah. the money for it and right. get some investment but it doesn't mm-hmm. work well how about practical how about uh, practical inventions that did work what was the first one of those oh the first one that worked um <laughs> i would say it was a um i was working for uh, a major biscuit manufacturer cookie manufacturer mm-hmm. in u.s parlance Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a particular type of um, conveyor which sort of whizzed these biscuits all over the factory. And, and I mm-hmm. invented this sort of universal guide rail for this conveyor that could be sort of rapidly moved up, down, left, right, and uh, mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it, I was I was pretty young, didn't have mm-hmm. any financial backing. I, I tried to patent it, didn't end up doing it just because of the cost you know um uh but i would say that was my first sort of unique invention Um, very but very cool i've actually seen that and been done you know uh maybe 10 years ago somebody sort of did it and commercialized it so uh you know damn it that was your invention i know (laughs) but you know unless you've got a huge pot of money and endless patience Mm -hmm. with patent writing um right you know, it's you can't just keep pumping out the ideas. You know, you, you have to you, keep some in your head. Yeah, inventing <laughs> things is really an art onto itself, isn't it? Definitely, definitely. And 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 I think um, qualification is is the key skill you have as an inventor. Mm-hmm. It's just is what you've come up with a a product that's actually useful? Uh, mm-hmm. Is it a, is it a product that's going to make any money? Right. Uh, is it a product that's going to maybe be more relevant in the future than it is now? If so, hmm. is your patent worthwhile investing in now to wait for yeah. something to happen 15 sure. years down the track? So mm-hmm. I think qualification, looking at all the – spreading it all out, doing your research, that that is the skill of being an inventor, I think. Just like what you just talked about, were there other – uh, was there other knowledge that you picked up in your early experiences that you have now that you wished you had back then? Oh my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, we, uh, my, my business partner and I back in Australia in the early noughties, we, uh, we set up this, uh, eco superstore and, uh, one of the things we did was carbon trading. So we were, we were making, we were replacing light globes and in people's houses and mm-hmm. fitting solar panels. And we were basically getting a, a carbon credit, uh, which we could then trade on, on the market. Um, sure. and this business, you know, I went from sort of earning 30 grand a year, uh, to earning, you know, 10 million a year within mm. one year. Wow. And, uh, we did that for three years running. So totally wet behind the ears, uh, no idea about finances, just kept thinking, oh, you know, the, the gold's just going to keep coming year after year and we'll build our dream of yeah. this being a mainstream brand all around the world. We never had our eye on the books and particularly the, the risks that we're, we were exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, now if I could go back and speak to myself back then, I'd just go, look, this is a P&L. This is a balance sheet. Look at the size of your payroll bill. <laughs> um, yeah. This is something called forecasting. Um, what happens if sort of modeling? Um, yeah. and, and I think the other thing was, you know, don't trust your bloody accountants. You need, you need to check <laughs> what they've done and, right. you know, forensically analyze 
you know what they're advising you and maybe take second and third opinions because um you know we we just employed uh you know some reasonably high tier accountants who just uh, charged us an absolute fortune and (laughs) didn't really give us any don't do this don't do that Um, so yeah that was the single biggest hole in my early experience was just the financial uh understanding i think and it's such a shame because there was a lot of money in that business a lot of money i bet so tell us how you came up with the idea of the baldo yeah, so so the the wine and the uh, uh, as discussed in the sort of the the preamble was yeah. uh, kind of like the the culmination of the qualification period. So I, you know, I'm I'm a kinky bastard, and uh, <laughs> I uh, I like Aren't experimenting. We all? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I like I like sort of experimenting a bit, and um, I actually it's a funny story. This so I I I went on a a uh, friend of mine's uh, stag do. I don't know if you call it a stag do in the US. US, you know, it's, What's that? it's Bucks party bef- before you get married. Oh, you're talking about a bachelor party. Bachelor party. There you go. Yes. So we, Tom we, Hanks. we did it's a great movie. <laughs> I've never seen that. I've never seen that. I must watch it. Um, we, oh my we, we God. This- yes, you must. <laughs> it's a classic. We did this thing called oceaneering. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's ba- basically you, you you clamber along rocks on the cr- on the coastline on a cliff, and then you just jump in off those rocks into the ocean. So, um, I mean, what could go wrong, right? Well, here's what went wrong. So, I was wearing some non-appropriate uh, um, underwear, shall we say? Or you know, I wasn't wearing my speedo, which kept my my nuts. Uh, tightly fastened to my body so i i jumped off this rock and uh i ended up as we say in the uk dropping a ball you know dropping a bollock and uh shit and i i came out and my balls were just sort of feeling a bit weird and i looked and and one of them was just much lower than the other and i thought oh no what's going on here and (laughs) <laughs> Took some advice from the the doctor, and he said, uh, "Oh, you've you've got to be very careful here because you, you know you've um, you've effectively stretched your uh, your uh, your tubes going to your your testes." And uh, <laughs> no, and I was like, no, it, it this honestly is making, felt like, making me hurt just hearing about it. <laughs> but but the weird thing was, I I thought, well, hang on a minute. This when I when I pull down on my ball sack um, with my thumb and my fore forefinger. They feel okay. They feel all right. So uh-huh. I, I bought myself one of these uh, stainless steel ball weights, ball stretchers, uh-huh. um, and I wore that for a bit, and the, the problem went away. It's just kind of like put them in the right place and stopped them feeling okay. like they were sort of loose, uh, you know, rolling around in the, the trunk of the car. Well, that's um, good to hear. Yeah, so I, I managed to sort of cure myself just by sort of reorganizing my balls, shall we say. Um, and then um, I thought, well, hang on a minute, this this is actually quite a nice sensation. I like this. You know, people people have been doing this for years. It's it's way way popular in in the in the gay community. Um, oh yeah. And I thought, well, what about if I uh, you know add a bit more weight to to this, and you know. Uh, it, how much can the balls take? And uh, <laughs> I, I was sort of pleasantly surprised. That, and, and this is it. I'm not. And I'm not an extreme person in this sense at all. You know, I won't do. I'm not into pain and stuff like that in in the bedroom. It was just more sort of a mild sort of edging sort of sensation. So, yeah, the, um, the ball. I figured out the balls could actually really take quite a lot of uh, a, a lot of weight. I've, I found out that they could, they feel, they felt a lot happier being sort of cupped or held in a position. Um, and I've always had really sort of sensitive balls. I don't, I don't like people licking them or poking them or fondling them. I like them to be sort of slightly tugged. A bit of a, just think of that th- thumb and forefinger around the top, pulling down a little bit. Mm. That is the sort of optimum position for the the balls. Um, uh-huh. So. Yeah, we uh, being engineers that we are, having a three D printer, we we made some early prototypes of uh, you know a kind of ball cage that sort of organised the balls and mm-hmm. 
the idea originally was it would be a sort of edging device and a tugging device. Um, and then we right. thought, well, geez, actually you could put these inside somebody, you know, and that's where mm-hmm. we sort of put the, the tip on the front and we had to invent a, a compressible, a non-compressible core that actually was uh, expandable in, in one plane so you could get the, the balls in the top. Mm-hmm. Um, and hey-ho, um, that first ball sex experience was had and it, and it was good. Um, I'll so, take your word for yeah. it. <laughs> well this is it you know there's um you know like you're saying earlier there's the people who work for people and the people who own companies i think it's the yes. same with balls I yes think absolutely the same with balls you have the people who you go near my balls i'll punch you in the face uh <laughs> and then you have the do what you like with my balls i love it you know there's, there's those two <laughs> camps and what i figured out is if you tell the the, the guys who want to run a mile when you mention anything about balls to just cut their balls and just do what I said, just tug down a little bit. They go, oh, yeah, that's that's nice. I like that. My balls feel safe. So hmm. it's, it's a case of convincing those those people that, you know, you're going to be all right if you wear a ball yeah. though or, or anything right. like that. Right. Yeah, I think it's definitely a, a bit of a, uh, a paradigm shift. Um, and, yeah, I mean, my, my initial impression is, hmm, balls, huh? But, hey. Um, you know, I, I, I know that, uh, from everything you and I have talked about, it's, it's something that can be very useful. Tell us what steps you took to patent the idea and what is actually protected by the patent. Um, yeah, well, I, I can tell you that because it's patented. Um, yes. and, you know, there's all this sort of stuff about, oh, you must have an NDA before you talk to people. Well, you know, a patent's the best NDA in the world in, in, my yes, view. it is. I, I have been advised as such. So, um, yeah, the, the steps to patent were basically prototype, 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 record all your prototypes, rep- mm-hmm. record all of the possibilities, all of the connections, all of the now, when you say when you say record, when you say record, what do you mean? Document. Just just mm-hmm. just it, it's almost like yeah. you're keeping a, a, a journal of, of what you've done, um, all the different things that you know work didn't work because when you patent something you can you can record all of those yes um and include them include them yeah sorry include um um, and the only thing stopping you from including all of those options that you've explored is that it might conflict with some but somebody else's patent somebody else's prior art so in the case of uh border we um I think we've got over 35 pages of variants of the Bordeaux and ball cages that, you know, allow attachments, either tips for penetrations or tuggers or Mm -hmm. vibrations and and all of the attachment mechanisms possible. So it's it's a very robust, wide-encompassing patent yeah in terms of the steps of doing it we we got the uk patent first and then by doing so you get a uh, a grace period sort of internationally where you can then file something called the the pct which is the it's kind of like the international patent convention treaty and Mm. what that once you file that that then gives you two years of protection internationally to give you time to then file in each of those nations. So as a result of doing, uh, well, over the last two years since we filed the PCT, we have chosen the markets that we we think, you know, we want to secure. And we've filed individual local patents in those areas. Right. Um, I mean, unless you've got half a mil in the bank and you want to throw that at patenting in every single country in the world yeah um you know you've got to look at where the value is so right you pick your best markets exactly exactly so that's what's been done and um Mm -hmm. here we are and now you know by virtue of having this this patent we've got 20 years of exclusivity on on the bordeaux design effectively and nice and i and i think you know because um I am prone to coming up with things a little before they're actually sort of 
I would say sort of the, you know the norm in the market or, or right. just a, a standard sort of product. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think our our uh, you know our sort of our, our day is is yet to come. You know, we've had a good sure. sort of early success, but yes. really, I, I think balls will be a commonplace thing in all adult stores. There'll be a ball section. There'll be ball categories mm. in, in e-commerce sites, um, yeah. and I think we're still probably three to five years away from that but you okay. know, as i said earlier that was all part of the qualification you know how long is it going to take for this to really sort of go off sure. uh, and where's our value in the pattern right so what other uh, ip did you have or do you have um so obviously you've got um the the, the brand bordeaux um mm-hmm. well the name bordeaux so that's that's trademarked internationally as well that's kind of key because we had uh, we had a great success with our sort of launch campaign, uh, yes. and as you said earlier, the the, uh, the video uh, was a cartoon we produced, kind of a fabulous bit South, South Parkian style. Huge amount of hits, a um, yeah. lot of traffic coming from that, mm-hmm. and hence you know Bordeaux became this sort of cult comedic kind of thing on, on a right. lot of the comedy sites. Right. Uh, and again, I still don't think that's that's gone anywhere near to its sort of true potential, but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of got this cult status. And, and I think Bordeaux ends up being a word like dildo, Bordeaux, vibrator, mm-hmm. you know, um, right. it's it's a ball dildo. So there's not a lot of products out there that can just be classified by that, by a single word. Sure. Um, and instantly recognized. So again, in that three to five year scenario, Bordeaux, I don't want to say it's a household name because it's not a household name, but to, <laughs> to all of us grown ups, we'll know what a Bordeaux is. Exactly. Um, and that's our our brand. It's our it's our, it reflects our IP, it's our mm-hmm. domain name, you know, right. it's yeah. It's it's like having a website called dildo.com, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess going to look that up so <laughs> how, how did you go about setting up a crowdfunding campaign that was great fun actually um i thoroughly recommend it to anyone just just to do for a, a product of any kind um, mm-hmm. it's uh it's um it requires a lot of uh massaging uh of mm-hmm. um, supporters finding your supporters and right. again we were very uh I don't want to say lucky. I think we planned well in doing the the, the sort of comedic launch video because that got us our Absolutely. six to ten thousand subscriber base just just like that. You know, literally, mm-hmm. we had those signups in two or three days. Pretty much, it was, it was mm-hmm. crazy. Um, so, by having that many people pay, you know, paying attention when you launched a campaign, um, you know, they. They subscribed, uh, and, and, and within ten hours, we got our our uh, campaign target. But <laughs> it, was, it was it was a lot of um, a lot of tweaking, a lot of sort of um, you know sort of pre-launch PR interviews, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that was tricky actually because we had to send out kind of homemade samples to radio shows, to TV, right. to podcasts, and these were. You know, it wasn't ideal sending out a sort of handmade. These were hand poured bulldozers that we made in my garage downstairs, <laughs> uh, in in a three D printed mold. They worked, but but they didn't look anywhere near as pretty as the the finished product. So, right, yeah, it's a, a li- little bit iffy on the initial impressions, but uh, right. we, we got there in the end. That's excellent. So, how about marketing? How did you go about that? Well, there we go again. So, it again, we thought well. We need to kind of soften this a little bit, you know. If if we if we the people we were speaking to early on uh, when we first started to sort of connect with the adult uh, industry were going, oh, that's very niche, you know. It's a chastity device. It's a it's it's a BDSM device. Uh, it's it's got to be a long while before this becomes a mainstream thing. So we thought, well, mm-hmm. we, we we need to soften this. So so let's let's look at a way that we can make this fun. Um, and right. one of the things that sort of really, really put us on the right track was, I don't know if you remember in the first Jurassic Park, the uh, the video when they all sit in the theater and uh, 
You've got um, Attenborough there uh, mm-hmm. doing the the talk through with the DNA that they find in the uh, in the mosquito in the amber. That mm-hmm. that sort of simplification mm-hmm. uh, in a cartoon format that got us thinking we're like yeah why don't we do this why don't we have a talking pair of balls and let's just sort of <laughs> makes me laugh every time i think about yeah. it let's let's do this as a sort of public information film you know a bit bit duck and cover if if you like we we were 100 percent on the money with that because what it did was give us instantly the mainstream market yeah. you had a total turnaround of expectations you know we're having we have I think it's even gone up like last time I checked. I think we had like 35% women uh, buying the product. <laughs> uh, we can clearly see that it's it's a main, mainstream sort of buyers. I'd say only about 20% are actually niche, sort of hardcore chastity, BDSM, that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So we've, we've, we've done the right thing. We've got it into mainstream uh, where, you know, the bulk of the market is. So I I think we give ourselves a pat on the back for the marketing. Yeah. You know, I mean, you talk about the industry's reaction and I can't tell you how many times I've seen it in all my years in the industry where someone comes in from the outside with something different and everybody with all, with their tunnel vision and fine form goes, Oh no, it will never work. No, it'll never work. It's, it's, it's very niche. It's very niche. It'll never work. But, and, and a lot of times the people are turned away and it doesn't work, but I I love what you've done. And like you said, the mainstream has adopted it. They've been receptive to it. And the mainstream is where you're going to make most of your money. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. I think, Go ahead. We, 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 we had, and just to sort of, you know, back up what you're saying there, we had in, you know, joining the ex-biz community and, and just sort of chatting to people on the, uh, the forums there, mm-hmm. um, having sort of early meetings on COVID, you know, some sort of quite senior figures in the industry were like, you know, I, I thought I've seen it all. I thought I've yeah. seen it all. Um, yeah. And here you go. what I thought completely surprised us that this is actually possible and it's a, a thing and it's enjoyable mm-hmm. um so yeah we we kind of you know really sort of I, I think that really sort of stuck home with us that uh you know we we'd come up with something new and mm-hmm. um and people were just receptive to it as well the uh, way it, i'm different the way i'm different from others in the industry is it's not only my nature, but it's my job to be open-minded. And when something comes yeah. along, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Let's look into this as opposed to, oh, that'll never work. I've seen yeah. so many people make so much money with those. That'll never works that, yeah. nah, sorry, I don't think that way. So who is Chuck the Balls? Ah, this is the the little, uh, yeah, I forgot to mention. He's the uh, the little ball character that we, we used in the, the sort of, viral campaign so Uh yeah we just wanted to sort of again as i said soften uh the the approach to this by making this sort of making balls i I think i think people think find balls funny people don't find penises funny or vaginas funny or asses maybe ass is up there with balls but balls are funny and when you when you characterize the balls and this is what we did with chuck the balls or chuck as he is better known um <laughs> people really sort of like charles grabbed, i don't i want to say i don't want i don't want to say grabbed hold of it but i will they kind of really grabbed hold of that that's um, good yeah so it just felt right that we give balls a face and two arms and a mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love it. It was I love it, it was lockdown. It was COVID, Bruce. What yeah, you Come yeah. On. Everyone, everyone went, went a bit crazy. Is <laughs> that the truth? That kind of leads me into my next question. What were your experiences trying to launch a product? Obviously, you did it successfully, but during COVID, oh, uh, it was damn hard. It was really hard. Yeah. Very stressful. Because mm-hmm. all, all the usual processes just had collapsed. Number one, finding suppliers. 
Uh, yeah. Normally you'd go and visit three factories, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and I'd never, I've never been to China. Um, I've, I've always just done it through um, sort of web meetings, email, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. But right. in this case, we really needed because it was our product that we were manufacturing rather than buying Chinese products off a Chinese factory. We mm-hmm. really wanted to just go and get that. So sure. couldn't do that. Uh, we thought about making it ourselves. Uh, you know, how can we do that here in the UK with all the problems with Brexit and import and export and shipping? Any expenses? Oh, it's, it's, it, it was just, no, just don't do it at all. So um, sure. we ended up having to go with, with an agent, a manufacturing agent, who obviously okay. sort of took their slice of the, the Pound cost. Of flesh. <laughs> yeah, and, and it, it was also quite difficult because we're, you know, uh, uh, engineers talking through salespeople to mm-hmm. engineers in the factory, and and the, the messages not getting passed on correctly, and uh, us not receiving or us receiving a sort of uh, diluted version of what the engineer in the factory has said back about manufacturing issues. So. Yeah. Um, Plus, it, it was plus re- they're plus they're Chinese, so that didn't help. Well, you know, I, I to be honest, I, I find working with the Chinese factories, uh, you know, th- there's a style, isn't there? And and uh, mm-hmm. you you once you know how to communicate uh, with them, what yeah. how they do things, and when no means no from them, right. uh, you know, that's when it's all okay. Right. That was sort of missing in this in this this conversation, um, and and it was it was very stressful, you know, especially when we had deadlines. We had all these people mm-hmm. who paid money up front through a crowdfunding campaign, like, right. "Where's my product? Where's my product? Why haven't yeah. I got my product?" Sure. Uh, well, it's 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 a pandemic, and things are all <laughs> collapsing around the world. So that's yeah. number one why you're three months late on getting it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was hard. So so there was that. There was the we ideally wanted some money. We we had we we wanted to launch a brand, not just a single product. So um, we had you know it's very clear that we had other products that we wanted to bring to market. So we were looking for an investor from the outset. Just before the pandemic, we we're having some you know positive conversations with a number of parties, and uh, mm-hmm. and then they just vanished. Um, as yeah. soon as the pandemic came out, because why wouldn't you? you just want to sit there and guard your chips with your arms and wait until the storm's blown over? Yeah. So we had to just we just had to go ahead with the crowdfunding only, and mm-hmm. you know, thank God it worked. Yeah. Um, I think I think the other thing that was the was the biggest uh, problem for us was shipping. Um, shipping just became an, an absolute nightmare. Yeah. Uh, in terms of cost and also in terms of delays. So we ended up having to air freight uh, our first shipment to oh, uh, the, the US, which, you know, instead of being pennies per unit, was dollars per unit. Mm. And, you know, we're talking quite a lot of dollars per unit. So that sort of sucked a lot of profit out of the early sales or, or you know we're still right. still paying for that right now because mm. you know that that stock is still being munched through and right. uh, it, it was air freighted at the, the worst point in in the, the pandemic because if we didn't do that we would have missed the start of the you know the sort of season as it were so yeah that that was a big problem and, and i think also having to do virtual trade shows you know yourself seeing people face to face Oh, uh, I, hate vir- I hate virtual shows. I, I won't do them anymore. Well, we—I don't—I don't think anyone will. To be honest with you, they're uh, we're we're uh, we're free again now, aren't we? But um, eh, kind of. <laughs> well, yes, you're right. It depends where you live, doesn't it? Yeah, um, I, I think we've forgotten all about it here in the UK now. Um, just get reminded every time we go to other countries when they ask us to fill in forms and wear masks and stuff. So it's. Uh, yeah, it, it's um, I I think in person events that's where you build those trusts, get those business relationships. And, oh yeah. uh, you know, it's it's we spent a lot of money on virtual shows where yeah, you can't sim- you can't simulate that. You just can't simulate no, that. No, doesn't it, it doesn't work? 
you can't cut the deals as well. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's you've got to have that beer with somebody afterwards or that mm-hmm. you know that little chat. Um, that's right. what cements in the deal. Sure. So talk about the market reception of the Baldo. Yeah, I, I think I sort of touched on it before. We we sort of turned all the expectations around in making it a mainstream product. It's been picked up by the mainstream sort of press as well. So, you know, we've mm-hmm. had appearances in Cosmopolitan, Wired Magazine, um, and you know foreign language media as well quite a bit Mm. of stuff sort of coming through in germany now and it's it's all mainstream stuff because it was it was it's so newsworthy it's like did you know that you can use your balls for penetration and yeah it's not a kinky thing it's it's just something you can actually do so why not why not try it um exactly so we yeah we just got that sort of reception and that word of mouth sort of passing on you know guys and gals in the bar going hey did you hear about the ball though you know it's it's that type of rollout that we're we're experiencing um very much the opposite of the the niche that was predicted exactly thank you chuck so uh, tell me about your international customer base yeah i mean it's uh (laughs) It's a little bit tricky. We're, we're basically a U.S. company. Uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, Americans love balls. Americans <laughs> find balls funny. Uh, Americans love uh, trying new sex toys. That's our experience. So yep. our, our customer base is 92% USA. Oh, wow. Um, That's a lot of so, potential internationally. Yeah, yeah. So so internationally, uh, you know, we, we think the sort of, the other markets are only just starting to wake up. You know, we've yep. just we, Germany. We assume would be, you know, right up there with uh, yep. with the US. But Japan, uh, uh, Japan will 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 come to later. But uh, yeah, there's a bit of a complexity there. Well, so let's talk the, about let's talk about that. What what markets have been uh, been a struggle so far, and why do you think yeah, so? Japan has been one. Yes. Um, I th- and I think. I think it's a one of anatomy, um, basically, um, and maybe there's, um, you know, we've we've had that kind of feedback from uh, a couple of potential distributors there, where uh, uh, you know they've said, look, look, we're just not sure whether this is going to work for Japanese guys and girls. Yeah, uh, they they are known the the Japanese guys are supposed to be the smallest in the world. Yeah, well, I don't know about balls. There's not enough ball data out out there. And, uh, I just uh, know about I just know about penises. <laughs> I, I guess we have to take a survey of balls, but you got to kind of figure one will one will uh, uh, kind of follow the other. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd assume so. And and also, I think if that's the case, then the the partner is not likely to be expecting anything as big as the ball, though, which is two inches in diameter. So yeah. You know, maybe that's why. Maybe you, wanna, you that's, don't want to stretch those nice. poor Asian girls out. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> um, yeah, well, we won't go into the noises they make off the videos, but uh, my no. my girlfriend does a good impression. Oh, uh, well, I, we should have had her on. <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I re- it's so annoying because I really, really wanted the Japanese market to take it up because yeah. I, I see the Japanese. I've spent a lot of time hanging out with Japanese people. Mm-hmm. I love them. I think they've got the same sense of humor that you know yep. we do in the UK and in the US as well. Yep. And um, it it's that kind of comedic thing with a cartoon character as well. Just kind of. It, it should it should fly there, Bruce. I think, and and I think maybe it's just a comms thing which we need to sort of, you know, invest a little more money into uh, mm-hmm. further down the track. Maybe you should um, do a do a Japanese version of uh, Chuck Chuck Son. Yes, Chuck Son with his uh, um, yes his uh, his little kimono. bandana on. Yeah, and his kimono <laughs> eating sushi. Oh man, I think we got a script. Oh, oh, the, the stereotypes are everywhere, aren't they? I'm um, terrible. Yeah. Well, yeah. So Japan. Um, I, I think other markets that that have been a struggle. Uh, Israel's been a real problem too. Mm. Um, we, we had a lot of oh, a lot of people. interest. 
<laughs> I know. Well, we had a lot of interest from um, from Israeli customers through the crowdfunding campaign, and we had a big problem with shipping to them. Uh, yeah. And I think it's the the uh, the alphabet issue. It just things just getting completely lost and trying to find them. Yeah. Just absolute failure, and the yeah. cost of upgrading that shipping to Israeli customers to you know FedEx DHL was just like triple the value of the product in some cases mm. so Ouch. you know maybe well the, the logical thing to do was get an Israeli distributor and uh, yes. we we explored two or three didn't really get anywhere with them and uh you know I, I find that a bit annoying because there was definitely quite a strong appetite from the Israeli market you know we've mm. got a good good signal from them i i would say confidently they're in the top the top five nationalities who were initially looking up uh wanting to buy the product so interesting again we need to do some more work there and uh you know it's just time and uh getting it right i think so what's your impression so far of the adult market i love it is number one I really like the people. We went to the XBiz retreat in Miami. That's our first actual face-to-face show, even though mm-hmm. it's not a true sort of, uh, you know, uh, D2C show. It's, mm-hmm. it's a B2B retreat. But everyone's really nice, um, very helpful. It's mm-hmm. kind of like a small small community, um, but, a, but a strong community. And, right. Um, yeah, I, I've had a, a ton of advice of some great people, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Sure, sure. Now, how do you see, we talked a little bit about this earlier, how do you see the market for ball-related products growing? <laughs> uh, you're asking, uh, I think maybe uh, you might need an independent on that, but from from my <laughs> angle... Oh, you uh, mean you're, sli- well, you're slightly prejudiced? Is that what you're I, trying I to say? I might be a little, yeah. Maybe yeah, a tad, yeah. But, yeah. But one thing I am really pushing for in the industry is to have the category of balls, ball-related products. Because if you look Mm -hmm. on any e-commerce store, you try and find something for balls, it's under cock ring. Yeah. It's not a cock ring. It's for balls. You know, it's right. uh, you know, there's there's specific products for balls, not not yeah. just the Bordeaux or or any of the Bordeaux brothers and sisters when they come online. There, there's a whole ton of products out there that are ball specific. Right. So why isn't there that balls category hmm. on in e-commerce? Why maybe isn't there that maybe maybe Baldo will change that. Well, I'm I'm I I think I've already got um a couple of e-commerce sites to create a balls category and then they dropped in a whole bunch of other complementary products or well Mm -hmm. say complementary i mean other ball products in there you know lubes ball stretchers uh you know that type of thing and the the feedback we've had is that it's working you know they're getting Mm -hmm. good sort of sales through by by doing that so i would say i would say in three to five i your all of your e-commerce will have a, a ball section That'll certainly uh, help. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and people, a lot of the feedback we've had from, you know, I was talking earlier about the sort of industry veterans saying, look, mm-hmm. I thought I'd seen it all. You know, well, <laughs> this whole new sort of, we've unlocked the door to balls as a main, as something that needs to be recognized, as a, as mm-hmm. a thing of, that can be stimulated, as a mm-hmm. thing that can often... Uh, make up for poor performance or medical issues. Yeah, talk, um, talk a little bit about that, would you please, Jerry? Yeah, um, sure. Because because that is a real <laughs> appeal for for men who have uh, have erectile dysfunction, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'll just sort of flag here straight away that I'm I'm not a medical profession, so I, I can't I can't sort of categorically say it's great for ED. But what mm-hmm. I do know is, you know, and and bizarrely enough i actually had ed for about six months during covid Mm. when i got a a prostatitis infection which really knocked seven shades of shit out of me i I couldn't get it up i could i could only get like half half erect at the at best uh Mm. i just didn't have that feeling there that uh you know you have when you get that you know when you want to go and having 
using the ball though, I was still able to sort of pleasure my partner with a, a, a good girth. Mm-hmm. Um, I could get the sensation of the stimulation of the, the sort of nerve endings in my balls mm-hmm. probably made my cock a, a, about as erect as I could get it at the time. It's kind of like having your, your, your balls suck. It, it's, it's a key trigger. It's, it's a key trigger to sort of maximize the potential. And I think for, for, for guys that suffer from ED or, you know, my experience, I think you spend about two or three months going, oh, yeah, it'll come back soon. It'll come back soon. It'll come yeah. back soon. And then yeah. it doesn't. And Wishful like, thinking, oh sure, God. sure. Oh, my God, you know, what's – and then the embarrassment starts setting in and the self sort of uh, criticisms and, and you know, you, sure. the depression sets in about it and the desperation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think with with having something like the Baldo and still being able to make your wife – come uh, or your partner come mm-hmm. um give them good girth have have um that sensation uh that stimulation and not feel like you're tying a strap on around and fucking your partner with your stomach you mm. know it's it's uh it's down there it's where it's meant to be and uh um, by, by the way what about what about the gay market uh have you considered that yeah yeah i mean again that was um that was another sort of thing that we assumed would be the number one source of uh, interest and customer. I think that's still yet to happen. I think we mm. haven't really sort of reached the sort of penetration uh, into so the market. Speak. So to speak. Uh, I, I'm immune to these uh, innuendos now, Bruce. Can't imagine. <laughs> you should just, be too. In, in, double, in meetings, the other double meetings. I just go, oh, they just roll right off my tongue, too, Jerry. Uh, balls all day, deep, all night. Balls to the wall, all of yep. that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, think, I think half of it is uh, gay, is very much, they will have tried an awful lot of this stuff before mm-hmm. by with whatever means they can you know whether sure. it's cock rings or uh tying a pair of underwear around the top or you know leather sort of supports it's it's largely been sort of already done um but i think that then I, I don't think that market has woken up to it yet um sure and you know that I know a lot of gay people and, you know, my, my one good friend, he's like, look, we are the dirtiest bastards in the world. We will try <laughs> anything. We, yes. we, we, we want to go they and will. talk about the new thing. Mm-hmm. And that is how I get my cool points in, in the group. So, mm-hmm. you know, again, I'm sort of surprised. I think it's a marketing thing. I think we just need to yep. sort of lift our game a bit in that sector. Maybe you need a, maybe you need a gay truck. <laughs> Yeah, could do. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> hey, or Chuck's uh, brother. Chuck's brother. Yeah, Chuck's gay half Billy, brother. Billy Balls. Yeah, Billy Balls. So I'll, I'll think of it. It'll. Probably I won't charge you for that. I, I won't. I won't charge. <laughs> I won't charge you for the mark. My marketing genius. So, what are your? He laughs. So, what are your plans <laughs> for the progression of the Nazareth brand and the Baldo? And what new products are you going to be launching soon? First things first, Baldo is, you know, version one of right. the Baldo. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've had our sort of initial, and that's that's another thing that was really hard with lockdown was getting testing groups, getting people together, mm-hmm. finding sort of testers, being and again, being able to make the samples to send to them and get the materials, blah, blah, blah. It was, mm-hmm. it was tough. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we've, we've now had over, I don't know, maybe 9,000 people officially test it for us by buying the product. You've got a lot of feedback from from those groups. We had some sort of, again, I was talking earlier about the size of balls uh, and mm-hmm. how guys just don't know what, what size their balls are. And mm-hmm. you've got guys who've got absolutely gigantic balls who just think, they they don't think about it. They're just like I've got balls. That's it. You know, it's uh, maybe only a partner that ever sees them. And what if that partner's never seen another man? What if they don't really watch porn that much? You know, right. they, you just don't know how how big or small you are. So we had some sort of feedback with guys with big nuts that uh, you know it was it was a little hard to get on with them for them. So what we're looking at is a, uh, a product where you kind of 
you know, separate the upper ring so that you can you, you don't have to stretch it over your balls. Cool. Um, we've got some sort of more design coming into the the uh, the, the tip, um, mm-hmm. a little more on the tickling sort of front for uh, you know mm. uh, the ladies. Uh-huh. Um, and we've got a, a vibrator that's uh, in right. in the pipeline as well. So that's basically a vibrating version. We've had a lot of requests That'll for be that. Popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that that one's sort of nearing design completion. And then we've got a whole bunch of other other products. So Bordeaux's mm-hmm. sort of really the one that Bordeaux was the one we sort of knew would probably get the most news, and that's why we mm-hmm. launched it first. Right. But we've got another two or three products that are equally as sort of out there and different and good as the Bordeaux, uh, which which we need to bring to market as well. Right. Um, so again, it's all time, money, team, resources, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. Well, Jerry, I'd like to thank you for being our guest today on Adult Site Broker Talk, and I hope we'll get a chance to do this again soon. Thank you very much, Bruce. It was uh, It was good fun. Thanks. My pleasure. My broker tip today is part one on how to buy a website. The first question to ask yourself is what kind of site would you like to buy? Would you like a tube site, a cam site, a dating site, a membership site, a social media site, or something else? If you want to buy a membership site, what type of site do you want and what niche? There are literally hundreds of niches and many sub-niches. For instance, let's say you want to buy a gay site. Under gay, there's bears or mature, bareback, Asian, Latino, amateur, bi, black, euro, and fetish, along with many sub-fetishes. Plus, there's hardcore, jocks, porn stars, solo, trans, twinks, and uniforms. Straight has even more sub-niches. I can't tell you how many people contact me and just say, I want to buy a site, or I want to buy a pay site. I need more information than that. How you make this decision should be based on these factors. What interests you? What you enjoy should definitely play a part in what you buy. If you like men and want to make money on a straight site, that's probably a really bad idea. Same thing if you're straight and want to buy a gay site. So what you like plays a part. What's your budget? This is something you need to establish at the very beginning. Not only do you need to know what it is you're working with, but some classifications of sites are more expensive than others. For instance, if you want a cam site with any traffic or revenue at all, you're going to need a lot of money. In fact, to buy any established and successful site will be somewhat expensive. If you buy a site that's pretty much just a platform without traffic or sales, you're going to need a huge investment to build it up. In that case, it might actually be as good or better just to start your own site. That way you get exactly what it is you're looking for. We'll talk about this subject more next week. And next week we'll be speaking with Carl Edwards of Stiff Media. And that's it for this week's Adult Site Broker Talk. I'd once again like to thank my guest, Jerry Davies of Baldo. Talk to you again next week on Adult Site Broker Talk. I'm Bruce Friedman. <laughs>